Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast and it's the first video podcast episode that we are bringing to you live here on Zoom. So if you don't know or if you're new to the brand, uh, new to the DNF1 F1 podcast, my name is Adam, I'm one of the hosts on this episode and joining us once again my co-host Courtney Pine, clearly the eye candy of the DNF1 F1 podcast team. Oh, so <laughs> so uh, first things first, Courtney, how are you doing? Everything okay with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great, mate. I'm looking forward to what is not only our first video podcast, but we are going to be giving you guys a Formula One transfer special, and I'm buzzing to uh, go through what we have to offer tonight, Adam. Absolutely, and that's why we're doing this episode in particular. Of course, we were meant to do our video podcast last weekend, so I do apologise for the delay on that one. And uh, obviously, first things first, Corner, you've got to ask about your background there. See, see a little... Uh, Oh. Photo in the background. Is that uh, O'Rouge or Radion, yeah. if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, that's right. Spot on. Um, that's from when um, I went with my sister in 2015. If you didn't already know, I'm a big Lewis Hamilton fan. So that is Lewis Hamilton going up the hill there. Um, got Fernando Alonso going along the Camel straight there as well. And bottom picture there, that's where we were for qualifying. Because if you get the, um, the non-seated tickets... You can go around all the different areas in the circuit. So we went in three different locations for the weekend. So good memories. And yeah, whenever I go in my room, I get the memories of a really good weekend. Of course, Lewis won, luckily. So good memories, Adam. Thanks for asking, by the way. Well, he wins most races. And I like the shirt as well, the old uh, <laughs> Senna shirt. Clearly, you came dressed for the Senna, occasion. Senna, Senna. <laughs> ole, 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 ole. Right. <laughs> We've got to be professional now. But um, obviously, for the benefit of those of you that follow us and listening to the podcast as uh, in the normal format on the 
uh, podcasting platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Of course, we've got them labelled in the bottom corner on your left there for those of you that are new to the DNF1 F1 podcast. And uh, just to describe what's going on, basically, just showing up Courtney's background with the old uh, O'Rouge Kemmel Strait Radion, of course, and Courtney donning a lovely center shirt. Me, just a regular tennis shirt that I'm wearing, nothing special in particular. But of course, my background, as you can see there, for those of you watching on YouTube, the uh, framed photo of Michael Schumacher, clearly a childhood hero of mine. And uh, hopefully we can do the old legends justice with our first video podcast. So first things first, guys, for those of you that are new to the channel, thank you for joining us for this episode. And if you want to follow some more content, make sure to like the video, share and subscribe to the channel, as you can see there on all of our handles as well on social media make sure to follow us on those as well so getting into the meat of this episode as Courtney pointed out already this is a transfer special so the reason why we're doing this situation every season we always come across this period in the season where it starts to get to the business end we approach what we call silly season where all of the transfer gossip and the grid slots get filled for next season and with the announcement of Huss replacing both of their drivers for next season it seems appropriate that we're in a situation now where both drivers are uh, looking for seats elsewhere. And of course, both of their seats are going to need to be filled. So in the meantime, Courtney, we might as well get straight into it. So start the season. We had a bit of a silly season preview already. Four drivers were announced at least to be making moves either in or out of Formula One. And those were Sebastian Vettel, where Ferrari did announce that they were not going to be continuing with Vettel at the end of the season. Then, of course, we had the big rusher who was going to replace him at Ferrari, which eventually was won by Carlos Sainz, who will be joining them next season to partner Charles Leclerc, leaving McLaren in the process, of course. And his seat was swiftly taken up by Daniel Ricciardo, a driver who, me personally... I thought would be a great addition at Ferrari, ended up going to McLaren instead, which left the seat at Renault, which is now being uh, filled by one Fernando Alonso, the two-time Formula One world champion, returning to the sport after two years out to pursue other racing interests. He's coming back in the Renault seat. And uh, until then, Courtney, I mean, first things first, it's very unorthodox to have as many as four drivers being confirmed to be moving seats or coming into the sport as early as pre-season testing I mean what did you make of that originally yeah I mean it's, it's a strange time obviously 2020s um a strange year and uh I just think we're going into a really interesting period you know you've got the old guards shall we say reaching a certain age where they've only got a limited amount of years left in the sport you know you look at the likes of Vettel, Lewis, Fernando Alonso and then you've got this, you know, you've got the younger generation coming through. You're the Clers, you're the Stappens, your Norrises, your Russells. You're going to have a big influence on the sport going forward. And we're getting to the point now where there's only so many seats left. And let's not forget, you've got 2022 coming up. So drivers are, are thinking tactically, where's the best place to be? Because in Formula One, if you get a regulation change, right? You could well find yourself dominating. If you look at Lewis, if you look at um, Sebastian Vettel, they very much dominated from big regulation change. So you've got drivers making big decisions for their own futures. And you've got a really strange situation where you've got some very good drivers who could easily have seats in big teams fighting to even stay in Formula One because Formula One isn't, unfortunately, Formula One isn't, only based on 
pure talent. It also your where you end up also depends on what uh, how much funding you can offer the team. So you've got a situation where you've got some pretty talented drivers potentially not even being in Formula One next season, which would be a massive shame. And that's always been the risk every single year. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there, Courtney. The big problem with Formula One for quite a few years now is that we've had only so many seats, a finite number of seats in the sport, and there are only so many drivers that can actually acquire them. And it's no guarantee that no matter how good you are, your seat is never always secure. And even if you have a contract for next season, there are stipulations in those contracts, which means that, you know, drivers can be bought out of their seats in replacement of drivers that may be more favourable, whether that be for uh, skill, experience, money, opportunity, so many different factors that come into this equation. And this is what we love about the sport. It's very, very cutthroat, you know, to, I mean, um, Sebastian Vettel hit the nail on the head when he was talking about Lewis Hamilton winning 92 races uh, after his victory at last weekend's Grand Prix in Portugal, that, you know, not only is it special for someone like Lewis to win that many races, but it's just this, uh, sustain that level of dominance over a long period in Formula One. You know, it's having a career that spanned uh, 14, 15 years now in Formula One, 14 years or so. And, you know, to have that kind of longevity, it, it's unheard of for most drivers in Formula One. You'd be lucky to be in the sport for a few years. One year, you may feel that you, you've got a career in Formula One, a big future ahead of you, and that, uh, like Esteban Ocon did originally. And then all of a sudden you find yourself without a drive and you're out of the sport for a year. I mean, fortunately, he's managed to find a way back in and is trying to rebuild his prestige reputation and career from that. But it just goes to show that almost nobody is safe in terms of their currency. And that's the fun of this. Obviously, we get to discuss who's going to be in, who's going to be out and who we think might be going into those seats. So, as I said, for those of you that are listening to us on any major podcasting platform, thank you very, very much. But of course, if you want to watch this podcast in video format for the first time, head over to the YouTube channel, DNF1 S1 podcast to be able to check that out. Make sure to like the video, share and subscribe. Really helps us out a lot. And so grateful to everyone that has viewed us so far. And of course, all of you that have subscribed and liked any of our content. Thank you so much. We've got many more like this to come. So I hope you enjoy the ride with us. So first things first, Corny, just a bit of a side note, if you can call it that. Mm -hmm. um, it's one Bernie Eccleston's 90th birthday today. So quite fitting for us to do our first video episode on the F1 Supremo's birthday. So Bernie, that you're probably going to be watching or listening to this, but wherever you are around the world, just want to say happy birthday. And I hope you enjoy your 90th birthday. God, I hope I live that long. <laughs> be lucky well to... i'll tell you what he's still uh he's, he's, he's still reproducing so your boy's <sighs> still got it. he's doing something right <laughs> well the guy's well endowed for wealth i suppose so um not that <laughs> i'm into it but you know i'm pretty sure bernie can uh support a family as large as brazil if you like or a population as large as china pretty well indeed so um yeah no happy birthday to bernie and uh enjoy your day however you choose to do it he'll probably be sitting around probably doing business meetings, whatever ventures he is. The man just never stops, even when he was in Formula One for so many years. I mean, he'd been there since the start. So, um, you, you know, the uh, former chief executive of the Formula One group that owned Formula One until Liberty Media came along and uh, played a huge part in making Formula One what it is today. Very extreme in his views, but definitely a man that knew how to get things done and put on a show for us. So, yeah, happy birthday to you, Bernie. So moving right along to the uh, first team, I think that we should cover in this episode and uh, just a bit of a background i suppose before we start actually 
Um, so the reason why we're in this situation with Silly Season, of course, Sebastian Vettel, as I mentioned earlier, leaving Ferrari at the uh, end of the season. That was announced at pre-season testing back in uh, back in February. That's how long ago it was. A huge shock to everyone. And everyone was wondering where was Sebastian going to go? Well, it turns out he's going to end up in the Hus, uh, sorry, not the Hus team, the Aston Martin team, I should say, currently racing point, replacing Sergio Perez who currently is still looking for a seat. Now, Sergio Perez, for those of you who didn't know, had a contract for 2021. So he was initially intended to be in that Aston Martin car next season, but it was going to be rebranded from Racing Point. So wasn't going to quite be the Pink Panther that we know and love. It was probably going to have more of a British racing green element to it or more dominant element to it. Maybe That'd better. be nice to see, though. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to seeing that car, although... Uh, their main title sponsor, BWT, want to retain some amount of pink on the car. So I'm not sure how they're going to accommodate British Racing Green and pink. I'd like it to be British Racing Green. Maybe pink and green? Not sure about that. Maybe a little bit of silver. I mean, let's not forget uh, Aston Martin recently. Um, well, Mercedes, I should say, acquired, a t- I think it was a 20% stake in Aston Martin Technologies. So sort of increasing that synergy, that partnership. And uh, I, I use synergy in a more positive sense. I know when people talk about businesses and synergy, they tend to mean it of a more, uh, not malicious, but a more negative meaning. But in this case, it seems that this partnership is growing and, uh, you know, the collaboration between the two teams may be more established in a similar way that Red Bull are with Alpha Tauri and Ferrari themselves are with Haas and Alfa Romeo, perhaps more Alfa Romeo at this point in time. Definitely. So, yeah, you know, all good things for that. So maybe there'll be more of a Mercedes influence on the Aston Martin car, at least the design of it, but we'll have to wait and see. But moving, of course, from this situation, now that Sebastian Vettel is going to be in the Aston Martin next year, that's me, Perez, is now without a seat, despite having a contract for 2021. Now that leaves him amongst many other drivers looking to try and get their futures confirmed. So the first team that we're going to go to, I think the big team that everybody's asking the question, who is going to be partnering with Max Verstappen at Red Bull? So, of course, the current situation is Alex Albon, a young driver going through the Red Bull Driver Academy, had a very successful time in his debut season at AlphaTauri, now finds himself in the Red Bull. But I think it's fair to say, Courtney, Alex, despite the promise he had last year, did not have the best season so far this season. He's quite often struggled to live up to his teammates' pace, despite the fact that he got that podium in Mugello, which has been long overdue, it seems that there are a lot of doubts from senior management at Red Bull that despite Alex's amicable nature and work ethic, may not necessarily have the pace at this point in time to live with his teammate and therefore leaving Red Bull in a position where they're almost one of their gunners short in the battle with Mercedes, hence why the rumours are going around of they're looking elsewhere and also the potential risk for him losing his seat as his future at this point is not clear at the moment. I mean, what are your thoughts on the Alex Albon situation at Red Bull, Courtney? Well, as tough as it is to have a teammate like Max Verstappen, I don't really envy anybody. Like, even Dan Ricciardo struggled with him and we all know how good he is. Um, but the problem with Alex, and we, but we saw the same thing happen with Gasly um, last season. It's not even just because it's so easy to be black and white and just compare drivers based on how they get on in qualifying. Because there's this whole thing of Alex needs to be qualifying within three tenths of max. That's one thing, but you can have a, shall we say, an underpass Saturday and then make up, you know, lost ground, shall we say, on a, on a Sunday. But 
he just seems to be losing his confidence week in, week out. And we saw the same thing happen with Pierre Gasly. You know, even the last race, you just saw him slip down places. I know it was a weird start, but he slipped down places and really struggled to recover. And we've, we've seen it in the last several races. He's just having really clumsy races when actually, when he first joined Red Bull, he'd struggle on a Saturday and make up ground, which kind of helped him build a, a name there. But, you know, you touched on it yourself, mate. If they want to get anywhere near Mercedes, they need both of their drivers there or thereabouts to give Red Bull um, an advantage when it comes to strategy. And they simply don't have that. So, in my opinion, I think it'd be best for Alex to do exactly what Gasly done, have a season elsewhere, rebuild his confidence, because he does have talent. You know, you didn't get that seat for no apparent reason. You didn't get it out of merit. Um, he needs to look, yeah, he needs to look to go elsewhere. And I think Red Bull need to look for somebody outside the Red Bull Junior program because I just feel that since Max has come along, it simply doesn't work. They need to look for somebody that's already experienced and has a level of confidence in Formula One already. And personally, I, I can't look any further than Sergio Perez. For me, it'd be Sergio Perez. And if not Perez, you need to look at Mr. Reliable himself, Nicole Hulkenberg. I feel they'd both do a great job for Red Bull. And that's, that's really the type of drivers they need to be looking at. Yes, yeah, it's, it's good points to make. Um, I think they were—they had concerns, of course. I mean, I'd be surprised if they didn't. And, you know, despite his podium in Mugello, which at a time Christian Horner did seem to imply that Alex was going to be staying on for at least another year with the team. They weren't considering replacing him. They weren't considering uh, promoting Pierre Gasly back into the team, despite his incredible performances this season, which has, of course, culminated in a victory at Monza, the first victory for the Alfa Tauri team in 12 years since Sebastian Vettel did the same thing at the same venue. And, you know, considering that Alex's performances have, in general, not been too bad, it's been a very competitive midfield, or at least the battle behind the Mercedes and Max Verstappen. But unfortunately for Alex, he's not in a Ferrari, he's not in a McLaren, he's not in a Renault, he is in a Red Bull. That is a car that, in fairness, if he was going at the expected performance, should be at least finishing fourth a lot of the time, considering how consistent his teammate has been. And, you know, a few races recently, he struggled at the Nürburgring. I know Dr. Helmut Marco said that he was more impressed with his performance. Quite frankly, I think when he said he was closer to Max Verstappen, he was referring to the qualifying one lap pace. And even then, Charles Leclerc managed to split the two of them in a Ferrari, which clearly was not on the pace of a Red Bull. And, um, you know, the barometer for Max Verstappen, they reckon, is around a quarter of a second, three attempts at the most. So at least that is the kind of gauge that we're working for with Alex Albon. But unfortunately for him, he's just not been consistent enough to be able to meet that. And I like Alex. I think he's a very talented driver. I think, you know, he has shown moments mm -hmm. where he's quick. Um, I remember the Styrian, uh, sorry, this Austrian Grand Prix argument was the way it played out. He could have very nearly won that race. He was on the softer tyre, fresh soft tyres, battling Lewis Hamilton until that collision. And he could have, if he had made that move stick, he could have got past Lewis and maybe Valtteri and won that race. You know, Mercedes were there for the taking on that day, but it didn't happen. And, uh, you know, it, it's been an uphill struggle for him. And I think it culminated with, uh, in my opinion, what perhaps was the last straw for Red Bull was the performance at Porton at Mal, where he really struggled to live with Max's pace. He struggled to deal with the conditions and he ended up being lapped by his teammate in a race where Max was not without issues himself. And he never, 
And the strategy, you know, he went to a two-stop high. He was on the softer tyres, which proved not to be the best tyre to be on at the end of the race. Um, but overall, I think it just suggested to Red Bull that perhaps they need to consider a change. And of course, you know, Christian Horner has been very defensive, but for the first time, it seems that certain comments that he's making at the moment where, you know, normally you wouldn't be expecting someone like Christian Horner to be making. He's quite straight and firm over his opinions. He is of the opinion now where if Red Bull are going to recruit a replacement, they're going to be looking outside the current driver program that they have. So the junior program they have with some of their uh, drivers on there at the moment include the likes of Pierre Gasly, uh, Yuki Sonoda from F2, for example, and a few others. Um, to hear those comments when we believe Pierre Gasly seems the normal or the expected candidate to replace him under normal circumstances, and clearly these aren't, without the history involved, it does seem now that Red Bull are of the opinion that perhaps Alex needs to go back into the Alpha Tauri and they need to bring someone outside into the team. So, you know, Dr. Helmut Marco mentioned Imola as perhaps the last chance for Alex to deliver. And perhaps if he does well there, maybe he has to repeat that in Istanbul, in Turkey, in two weeks' time. And then they'll make their decision. In my opinion, I think that decision could be made pretty soon if it hasn't already. Um, interviews have been going around asking Max Verstappen who he prefers. Now, Max himself says he doesn't have any influence in the decision making. I'm not sure how true that is. I think, you know, when you've got the resources behind a specific driver, especially the way Red Bull back Max Verstappen, there's certainly an element of influence to the team. Uh, in terms of their recruitment. And um, when they asked Max about this, who he preferred in case of uh, out of Hulkenberg or Perez, he mentioned Hulkenberg. He did like Hulkenberg. Um, he, he just liked the way that he drives. He thought he'd be a good teammate. You know, it seems very respectable. And Hulkenberg's got on with pretty much all of his teammates in the past. He's a very easy driver to Whereas uh, Sergio Perez, one of the most liked drivers on the grid and definitely one of the most talented, has had his run-ins with teammates over dominance of the team, like uh, Esteban Ocon, obviously Jensen Button when he was at McLaren for that time being. And um, maybe Red Bull are considering that. You know, they are thinking about those things. They're thinking about what would be happy for Max, because, of course, they need to make sure to do everything possible to keep Max in the team. Because at the moment, his future may be unclear, at least for the next couple of years, not necessarily in the short term. So if you ask me, I think Red Bull have made their mind up over who they think they're going to bring in. I don't think it's not going to be Gasly. We know that Gasly has now been confirmed by Alpha Tauri as staying yeah. there for one more year. Christian Horner said already that, um, and, and, and I want to raise a funny point on this. Christian Horner has already said that, you know, the reason why Gasly's staying there is because he's drove very, very well. Obviously he's got that race win for Alpha Tauri. It's a much easier car to drive. And, you know, he's working well with the team in a great environment. Roughly translated, you're keeping him there because he's doing a good job rather than promoting him because he might do a better job than the driver you have. And, and he referenced what happened last year and said Alex outscored him in the latter half of the season. I said, well, he would. He's in a faster car. He was bound to outscore him. <laughs> um, you know, it's the reason why that's not, you know, he's struggling to do that this year, which is the concern. And, you know, it is a harder car to drive. We appreciate that. But, you know, all the signs suggest that Red Bull do not want to entertain the idea of bringing Pierre Gasly back. I think that relationship is very much fractured. And, um, you know, Red Bull have been very ruthless over their driver programme. I mean, Danny Kvyat was let go. He's been brought back, although we expect Danny Kvyat not to be there next season. Um, you know, just no, no. efforts. And 
you know, so for me, I, I think Red Bull may listen to Max in this case and bring in someone like Hulkenberg. They're not financially motivated. For those who are saying, oh, Perez will bring in the money. Let's be honest. Um, I don't think Red Bull worry about that too much. Dr. Helmut Marko has gone out saying in the press that, you know, the financial support and backing that Perez has, they don't need. And they already have a relationship with uh, Mexican investors outside of F1 anyway. So why would they need to bring in more revenue from that? They're more concerned about picking a driver based on sporting conditions. So for all of that, you know, and it's a lot to bear in mind, everyone uh, watching and listening. I would be very surprised if Red Bull at this point keep Albon, although it is still likely, depending on what he does in the next couple of races. But I think they might be daring. I think they might take a chance and go with Hulkenberg. As much, I would love to see that happen. And uh, especially put Hulkenberg in a car that, you know, he can get to grips with and maybe get that elusive podium. So, well, what do you think, Courtney? Yeah, Adam, I yeah, God, I don't know if you remember, I, like, getting a little bit, uh, sort of going off tangent a little bit. I remember us two talking about Hulkenberg. We're going back 10 years. We were talking about Hulkenberg. And I remember there was always like a link of Hulkenberg with a Ferrari or, or McLaren, He's all, or even like a Red Bull as, as the second driver. With Hulkenberg, he, he does have the talent, and he is, he is Mr. Reliable. But with with Hulkenberg's career, it's always been a case of so close, but so far. And so he isn't, if he does get this seat, he isn't just been just chucked in. It hasn't been a faultless thing for Red Bull to do. Trust me, this guy, this it might look that way because he hasn't been in the sport for a year or so. Trust me, this guy's good. He will deliver. He will he will get the best out of that car. I think he'll do a great job for Red Bull. He's man. He, he deserves. He deserves a seat of this caliber because he has. But as I said, we've discussed it. We've, we've said this for years, Adam. That I reckon he um that he does deserve a chance in a big team. So I do. I I I I personally would prefer to see Perez, but I would be very happy to see Hulkenberg as well. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. And and you're right to point out that you know the influence that drivers have in terms of their recruitment. I mean, Hulkenberg was very very nearly. Uh, a Ferrari driver back in 2013 yeah. to partner Fernando Alonso. But apparently Fernando Alonso was not overly thrilled about having someone like Nico Hulkenberg come into the team, young up and coming talent, potentially trying yeah. to wrestle dominance of the team from him. And uh, especially, yeah, we've seen that after, before. <laughs> yeah, especially after two unsuccessful, um, <laughs> especially after two unsuccessful championship campaigns in 2010 and 2012. And hence why they brought Kimi in, who's, as we see, Kimi is probably one of the easiest drivers to work with. He doesn't really care. He just gets on with his job. As he said, it is just like a hobby for me. <laughs> Terrible impression. But um, yeah, so I think it's fair to say Red Bull, we both feel that they're probably going to look outside if they do replace Albon. Um, and at the moment in time, I'd probably say that's more likely situation at the moment. But, you know, it's almost a case of whoever does get that seat is going to have an almost impossible task to try and live with someone like Max Verstappen. And it's going to be uber hard. probably one of the hardest jobs to do in Formula One at the moment is to try and live with Max Verstappen in the same car. So we'll have to wait and see what happens on that one. So um, for those of you that are hearing some background noise, I do apologize um, as my microphone is picking up some background noise at the moment. So if you are hearing that, I do apologize for that um, in the meantime. So let's move on to another team before we get to the halfway break. Um, a second team that we need to look at, Williams. So um, and, for, and for context, guys, we will run through some of the other teams as well. But only three teams, to our knowledge, have actually confirmed their drivers for next season. Only three out of 10. And that's Ferrari, McLaren, Renault. 
I mean, technically racing point, I suppose you could add that to the mix because Lance Stroll's probably got the safest seat in Formula One at the moment. So you could probably include them, but officially only three have confirmed their seats. So um, let's, actually, no, we won't go to Williams yet. Let's go to Alpha Tauri, seeing as they've already hit the news today. And uh, for those of you that weren't following, Alpha Tauri have officially confirmed that Pierre Gasly will be staying with them for 2021, sustaining for one more year. It, it seems obviously, you know, a, a very good decision for both parties. I think. Gasly's happy with that, you know, considering the success he's had with them this year and almost the reinvention of his character, of his ability. We're starting to see the real Pierre Gasly, I think, this season and what he can offer to bigger teams going forward. But it seems to me that this is more of a, of a stopgap. You know, he's happy at the moment. AlphaTauri are more than happy to keep him on. I think they're going to need that because they're expected to bring on someone new next season. But it does seem that this is probably going to be just one more year and then perhaps go to somewhere bigger, perhaps Renault. Of course, Renault have been linked with Gasly yeah, over yeah. Ocon's performances. He's young, he's French, he's proven to be very good and Renault may be happy to take him on next season. What are your thoughts on the Pierre Gasly uh, confirmation, Corny? Do you think that's the right move at this time for Pierre or do you think perhaps there was another seat that might have been available to him? Yeah, no, to be honest, I do share your uh, your sentiment. I think another season, how an Alphatari will do him, will certainly do him no harm. But, yeah, no, I agree with what you previously um, stated, that I can see him going to a bigger team. Maybe, yeah, maybe if Ocon or Alonso have a bit of a dodgy season next season, I think he'd be the first name in line to replace them. Because, uh, in my opinion, apart from one or two shaky races... I think Gasly's up there as one of the uh, best performers this season. You know, I think the best performer has been Max, but then one of the first names that come to mind away from the big teams is certainly Gasly. So if he carries on the way he's going, he'll definitely be in line for a big drive very soon. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And um, it's that, that situation, I think, in regarding the second driver, who's going to partner Pierre Gasly for next season, ultimately depends on what happens at Red Bull. I think you'll probably be fine that once Red Bull announce their plans, AlphaTauri will probably very quickly announce their second driver. And uh, if they do announce their second driver before Red Bull announce theirs, it will probably give us a good indication of which way Red Bull are going. So what I mean by that, for those of you that don't know, is that, you know, Pierre Gasly, we expected him to stay at AlphaTauri. That's been confirmed now. But the second driver seat will most likely depend on what happens with, with uh, Alex Albon. If Alex Albon does go to... Um, Alpha Tauri, then that means that we will most likely see someone like Hulkenberg or Perez go into the Red Bull. However, Albon stays, then those two names we've mentioned will most likely fight for the Alpha Tauri seat, possibly. Maybe more likely Hulkenberg, because Red Bull might want him in the programme, but feel that perhaps it's a bit too soon to put him in the uh, Red Bull seat. They'd rather see how he gets on with these modern cars, because, you know, Hulkenberg's been out for a year, and even though he's been very impressive. You know, he's not had a lot of time to work with his cars. So clearly Red Bull might want to see or gauge how good he is in that sort of car that he's not really experienced with a Red Bull type car before they put him in the hot seat. Um, or perhaps someone different like Yuki Tsunoda in F2, who has impressed very, very well. Um, you know, Jay and Daruval are another driver in the Red Bull program who's impressed well. But it seems that Yuki, who's uh, had experience in the uh, Japanese Super Formula series who is a Honda back driver as well let's not forget even though Honda aren't going to be a part of F1 next season um, there probably are some ties and connections that are going to stay with the Red Bull team that they probably would favour having a driver like Yuki in that car so you know he's had a seat fit in 
Yuki Sonoda for a 2018 version of the car to do a bit of testing. I don't know if he's actually done any testing, but he's probably done a lot of simulator work, so they could probably gauge where he's at in the program. So I wouldn't be surprised if Alpha Tauri ended up bringing in Yuki Sonoda, but ultimately it could be a decision that Red Bull will most likely be influencing, or at least, uh, or maybe even orchestrating the whole thing to put a driver of their choosing in that second seat alongside Gasly with a view to perhaps thinking that Albon has one more season and then they'll see how he gets on there. Um, what do you think of the situation at AlphaTauri, Courtney? Who would you like to see in that car? And also, who do you think will be in that car next season? I, I do think, you know, if if Alex Albon does leave Red Bull, he will do exactly the same thing that Gasly did because... How harsh would it be to see Alex Albon not only drop out of Red Bull, but to drop out of the sport altogether? That would be extremely harsh. Mm. And no one wants to see that happen. Um, so, yeah, unless anything dramatic happens regarding one of those drivers we've already mentioned, I'd be very surprised, you know, if we saw anything other than uh, a Gasly-Albon partnership at um, AlphaTauri next season. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably the most likely scenario and I'll probably agree with that I, I think Alex Albon will be demoted by Red Bull and uh, put in the Alpha Tower and I think that'd be good for him I mean he was put in the situation mm-hmm. at Red Bull perhaps a bit too soon but Red Bull's issues with their driver academy has been well documented for a while that they do seem to be churning through so many talents so quickly and uh, they don't have enough left on the conveyor belt to try and put the next one in there was a time where we had as many as three or four drivers fighting for one Red Bull seat after Mark Webber um, left the sport in uh, t- 2012. So, you know, there's always been this conundrum that Red Bull have had, and now it's gone the other way where they're running out of talent. I mean, let's be honest, um, if you cast your minds back a few uh, two years ago, Alex Albon was meant to be driving in Formula E. You know, he didn't get a Formula One seat originally after his successful uh, uh, third place finish in F2 with the Dams team. And he was meant to go to Formula E, had a contract signed with, uh, I think... I'm right, it might have been Mahindra. Don't quote me on this, it might have been the Mahindra team. And uh, at the last minute, um, Alex, who was a former driver in the Red Bull program that was let go, um, was a free agent. Red Bull approached him, put him back in the the uh, Alpha Tower, sorry, the Toro Rosso it was last season. And the rest is history. So he's been very much fast tracked into this situation. So it may prove too much to, uh, too soon for him. He's definitely a very quick driver, but perhaps he just needs a bit more time to get used to this Red Bull car. Um, and, and have a similar season to what Gasly's having right now. Maybe that's what's best for him. And then, as we said, I mean, it'd be a hell of a story, Gasly against Albon. Um, though we expect Albon to be more favourable by the Red Bull team, but I mean, that would be a battle we'd want to see because those two have been pretty amicable, but I'm pretty sure there's no love lost between them two. So put them in the same car, that probably bring uh, one of the more fiery partnerships for next season. So... Um, yeah, I think we've just reached the halfway point of this episode. So we're going to take a quick break, guys. So for those of you who are watching this on the video podcast, hopefully it's been going okay so far. It's hard to gauge. Obviously, it's our first episode. It's only going to get better the more that we do this. But um, obviously, stick around. We've got part two coming soon. And we're going to be discussing the situations at uh, Haas, Williams, Alfa Romeo, and uh, probably have a little talk about Mercedes as well while we're at it as well. But that's the last... Yeah, why not? Those are going to be the teams we're going to be discussing in part two. So until then, uh, stay stay safe and grab yourself a drink. I don't know why I say stay safe. That's the usual outro part. <laughs> but um, yeah, grab yourself a drink, take a few minutes break. And of course, we've got the advert in the middle. And uh, we'll see you in part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. See you in a moment. 
The DNF1 F1 podcast is a brand new show that covers the latest gossip, news and events in the world of Formula One. In each episode, we discuss the hot topics, interview guests, as well as review each race from the Formula One World Championship. We upload new episodes weekly, and we upload our podcast episodes on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We also upload video versions of every podcast episode on the DNF1 F1 Podcast YouTube channel, as well as other great content that you can check out. So make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and click the notifications bell so you don't miss out on any new content that we produce. You can also follow and engage with us on social media. The DNF1 F1 podcast is now active on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So welcome back to part two of the DNF1 F1 podcast. So for those of you that uh, followed us for part one, you know we would have covered the uh, rumours and the uh, transfer speculation regarding the AlphaTauri team and the Red Bull team. So moving on, we're going to look at another team, which quite recently we were under the impression that their driver lineup was all but confirmed for 2021. However, recent speculation has suggested that that may not necessarily be the case, and that is the Williams team. And in particular, Courtney, George Russell's future. Now, it's a very much a difficult one for some fans to uh, really accept, given that George has been very impressive in his first two seasons in F1. Mr. Saturday, he's uh, earned that nickname regarding his impressive performances in qualifying, where he's made seven appearances in Q2 this season. So, more than half the races this season in arguably the slowest car on the grid he has made it into q2 so despite the impressive performances and reputation of george russell he is another driver as we mentioned earlier that is not guaranteed a seat on the 2021 grid and uh, in particular the rumours of his future in formula one are situated around the current situation with sergio perez now for a bit of context, for those of you that aren't aware of the current situation at Williams, they went through some huge financial uh, turmoil following COVID situation. In 2019, they posted losses of £13 million, which is a lot of money in Formula One. Definitely not one to be snuffed at. And uh, the COVID situation has really served as a catalyst for a current situation where the current, well, the former owners, uh, Sir Frank Williams and his daughter Claire, had to sell the team to Doralton Capital, the new owners, and effectively left the team from the Mugello Grand Prix uh, about a month or so ago. Fast forward to this to now, it seems all but confirmed that George Russell and Nicholas Latifi would be confirmed for 2021. They both had a contract for 2021. However, recent speculation suggests that given the Sergio Perez situation, he may be uh, in the hot seat or maybe likely to take over from George Russell and replace him for next season. Now, for those of you wondering why that may be, Sergio Perez, as we've already mentioned on this podcast so far, is a very talented driver, um, very experienced. Obviously, he's had experience in McLaren. He's had experience in the Force India now Racing Point, has done very well for both of those teams. So he's a driver that has a lot of talent, a lot of skill, has had a few podiums in his career, and is a driver, I'm pretty sure, a lot of teams would very much happily consider him for a drive. I don't think there's one team in Formula One that wouldn't at least consider him 
for one of their seats in their team. However, we're in a situation now where Perez finds himself without a seat and he has this huge financial backing from partnering companies in Mexico, where he's from, that will add a lot of revenue in sponsorship to any team that takes him on. Certainly not a paid driver, Perez, he's there on merit, but he does have that financial backing that does make him very attractive to a lot of teams that may need to recoup a certain amount of revenue, which will help them with their car and help them with the other resources that they may be struggling to acquire without the necessary funding that Perez brings on. So moving on to the meat of the rumours and the transfer, uh, transfer speculation, if you like, it does seem increasingly likely at the moment that Sergio Perez may end up in this Williams seat, of course, assuming he doesn't end up at Red Bull or Alpha Tauri. And uh, to give a bit more fuel, to add a bit more fuel to the fire, the new um, uh, Williams boss at Doralton Capital, just trying to remember his name. Um, oh, this is terrible. I'm totally unprepared for this now. <laughs> I did write it down. I'll have to, uh, I'm, looking, I'm looking through my notes that I have. I have alongside here. I'm sure I wrote down, blah, 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 blah. So this is, see, oh, do you know what the audience is? For those of you that remember the podcast, um, from its early days and Courtney you'll remember this I had my big notebook that I'd write down all I'll remember your notebook all right. and uh, I don't know what I've done with that notebook it is somewhere because obviously wow. when it, it is somewhere and I will have to dig it I might I have to dig it out I'm gonna frame there's, 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 some, there's some there's some confidential information on that notebook you need to be careful where you put that thing uh, <laughs> not that confidential <laughs> to be honest but um well and, to, and, and I do apologise because it seems that for whatever reason, I haven't put it on my notes for this one, but um, so there's a bit of a faux pas on me, but he's a new boss, so forgive me for that one. But the Dalton Capital, t- um, that they appointed their new team boss for Williams. He has gone on record to basically say that, you know, rather than deny the rumours or say that, look, we've got two drivers confirmed for 2021 in Russell and Latifi and end the speculation there. He's basically gone and basically said the equivalent of no comment. So he's not confirming or denying the speculation. And by trying to do that, he's basically added fuel to the fire to say, well, if you've got two drivers with contracts of 2021, logically speaking, you should be able to confirm that those are going to be your drivers next season, unless the caveat gets thrown in where that's not the case. And that one of your drivers, most likely in this case, George Russell, because Nicholas Latifi does also have the financial backing and his future is not under threat from what we can gather, it does seem that George Russell may not necessarily be at Williams next season. So um, first things first, obviously I've said a lot of this already, it's almost like a monologue, but Courtney, um, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, how devastating would it be for Formula One and for George Russell in particular if he finds himself without a seat next season, despite his incredible... This would be, yeah, this would be a prime example of the gripe that a lot of Formula One fans have about decisions made by teams in regards of who they take on. Um, You know, we've we've seen a lot of bad feeling towards um, Lance Stroll when he got confirmed that he'd be staying at a racing point, soon to be Aston Martin, over Sergio Perez. We've seen this. And it'd be the same thing all over again if we were to see George Russell, who we were talking in in earlier episodes, we were touting him to be in the uh, Mercedes seat, challenging Lewis Hamilton. Now we're talking about him not being in the sport altogether. And I, I just think that that's exactly what rubs fans up the wrong way. You want to be seeing the best going up against the best 
and as equal machinery as possible. That's that's what the purists want to see. But unfortunately, you're seeing decisions get made based on how much money they can offer to the team. I can understand from a business perspective why they do it, but as as a sport and fans are watching it, we want to be seeing the best, the the, the most the most talented drivers in the most elite form of motorsport. Um, and with regards to the Tifi, like not, nothing against the guy. He's he's done relatively well. You know, his first season of Formula One. Can't really show much in what is the worst car on the grid at the moment. But you look no further than George himself, particularly on Saturday. He's done such a great job. And it'd be a draft as day if he was no longer in Formula One. It would. It just calls a lot back. I, I don't I don't wish any sort of bad feeling towards Nicholas Latifi, because unfortunately, if this does happen, you will be seeing Latifi getting a similar level of abuse than uh, Lance Stroll was getting when the Racing Point announcement was made. I don't wish that on him, but you can't be letting people like George slip out of the sport because he should be he should be in the midfield team, at least at this point in the career. You know, you want to be seeing him going upwards, not dropping out. Hmm. So let, let's just hope. For me, I, ideally, if Perez doesn't go to Red Bull. I would love to see Perez and George Russell at Williams. I, um, I think I think that's just the way to go. But unfortunately, Formula One doesn't work that way, Adam. No, you're absolutely right. And um, you know, I can understand while Doriton Capital, if they do have this conundrum over who to put in their car next season, why they would be doing. It. I mean, we're talking about George Russell in the way that his performances have definitely shown, at least in qualifying, that. He is a driver that's got a lot of pace, a lot of potential. His junior career has been incredibly impressive. Formula 3 champion, F2 champion. The man has won in such a short time everything there is to win in junior category. You know, he's had one of the most impressive mm. junior careers I could think of in a long time. I, I, can't ima- I can't remember the last time a driver in junior categories as successful as George Russell. And he's already shown hallmarks of this uh, innate ability that he has in Formula 1 already. In a, in a car that shouldn't be anywhere near Q2. And yet time after time, right. after time he's always able to deliver. In the races, however, that's always been a bit of a sticking point, either through you know some bad luck, misfortune, or a few careless mistakes that he's made. You know, little ones on the face of it, but unfortunately in the car like the Williams, you have to be almost near perfect and find yourself in a very fortunate situation to get points. Very close to Magello with that 11th place, very nearly made it there. Um, he did say uh, after the recent Grand Prix of Portimao, that was his most complete performance. And I agree. I, I think that was very impressive in terms of his race craft. Unfortunately, the strategy didn't really pay off for him in terms of being able to capitalise on some other drivers doing two stops. Most of them ended up one stop in. So it didn't really work out for him. But we're talking about a driver who is effectively on loan from Mercedes. If you want to think of the football analogy, he is literally on yeah, loan. He He's a Mercedes driver. He's just waiting for a seat to open up. And we do expect that at some point, George to end up in the Mercedes, whether that's going to be in 2022 or it might be a bit longer. Maybe not at all. We don't know. Even though we expect it, you can't rule that out. It's already happened to Esteban Ocon. He was meant to be next in line. He ended up losing his Mercedes seat after making the move to Renault. And in fairness, probably the sensible decision, given that George Russell seemed to be moving ahead of him in the queue. So Williams kind of have to look at this situation and think, well, we've got one driver in Latifi who's shown a decent pace. You know, he's a bit raw, done well in F2, but, you know, he's about 24, 25 now, a young driver who's, um, you know, shown he can hack it in Formula One and is going to be there for the long run. You know, 
So his future is a bit more long term. Then you look at George Russell and think, well, Williams will probably look at this. Well, you know, we've effectively got him until 2022 at the at the earliest. So, and they don't really want a driver that despite George's impressive performance and pedigree to only be there for the short time and effectively be developing him for a Mercedes seat. So they have to think longer term. When you've got options like Sergio Perez, not only does it bring that longevity, because Perez is going to want to buy into a project, he's not going to want to just join the team for the sake of staying in Formula One. The man has options in IndyCar and other series, I'm pretty sure would happily take him on. So he doesn't need to stay in Formula One for the sake of it as much as he'd like to. So, and, and, and on top of that, you've got that financial backing that cannot be underestimated. I mean, although we said, you know, Perez is not a paid driver. And even if this does happen, it's not going to change the opinion the fans have of him. But unfortunately, George does find himself in a position where despite having that contract, the only thing going for him is having that contract at the moment. And even that probably won't be enough to keep him despite his performances. He could probably all but win a race in the current Williams, which we know I've seen stranger things happen in Formula One or in sport in general, but we're talking less than winning the Premier League levels of unlikely in, for Williams to win a race in the current grade of Formula One. So, you know, with all respect to George, as much as I want to see him on the grid, I am definitely concerned about his future, um, at least for next season in the short term. Of course, if the worst does happen and he does end up without a seat, Total Wolf has already said to him, that, you know, he's given him his back in. He said to him that he's going to be staying at least with Mercedes in a reserve slash development driver capacity, similar to what Ocon had. But the development programs could be a lot more intense with a view to preparing him for a seat in 2022. Not necessarily a Mercedes one, but one nonetheless. And we, you know, it depends on what happens with Valtteri Bottas' future or Lewis Hamilton's. I mean, we, we both expect Lewis to stay at Mercedes and sign a new deal. But until the end of the season, Lewis isn't going to worry about that. And who knows? Hamilton may win a seventh world title and pull a Rosberg. And where does that leave Mercedes then if, if uh, Russell's confirmed to go somewhere else? So, um, you know, I, I want to be, uh, you know, the bearer of good news and say, I think George will stay. But I do feel that this is a situation that if Perez does not end up in an Alpha Tauri or Red Bull, he may find himself in a Williams and that will move George Russell out. So we'll have to keep an eye on this. But um, I mean, Let's say he does move. Do you think Red Bull might be looking at this situation, Courtney, and think perhaps there might be an opportunity for them to bring George Russell in to replace Alex Albon for next season? What do you think? Well, that would certainly be a good choice for um, for Red Bull. Um, I've just, you know, you, you, you've touched yourself already. Uh, what he's uh, already achieved in F3, F2. What he's already done in Formula 1, relatively speaking. He has done... So well, I, I do. You know, every, you know, every driver's had shaky races, but if you compare it to most of the drivers on the grid, you know, to think about the level he's been racing at, given the car that he has, I think he's been brilliant overall. And Red, you know, I, I, I think that he's already at the level where he could be a number two driver for one of the top teams. So why not? I think, I think he'd fit in well, but. He would be going in the deep end a bit, having a teammate like Verstappen. But then he would be if he went to Mercedes with Lewis, even though I think he'd be more healthy, given that Lewis would be leaving soon. I can imagine Lewis would also almost give him a mentor role if he was to join Mercedes, shall we say, in 2022. That'd be a much more of a healthy partnership compared to Red Bull. But um, 
No, you can't. You, you can't be seeing drivers do as well as George Russell has and, and seen them drop out the sport altogether. It, it's it, it's not good, and I just really, really hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, no, absolutely right. I mean, whilst I think the Red Bull move would be extremely unlikely, I mean, one Mercedes would not want to part ways with their next prodigy that they expect to be in that car in the future and perhaps, you know, win world championships and races in Formula One and the Mercedes like they've done with Lewis. And um, they've obviously losing Rosberg as well. That's going to still be fair. I think it was years ago, but Mercedes won't want to lose another talent. Um, so no. that could go to a rival. It would be very expensive for Red Bull to pull somebody like this off, but they should at least consider it. I'd be very surprised if Red Bull didn't at least consider the prospect of bringing in someone like Russell. And I think Russell would be up to the challenge. Despite being a number two, I don't think he'd be a regular number two. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, given for Stappen's uncertain future, that Red Bull might have to bring someone in to say, well, you know, you're not as uh, important to us as you originally were. We have someone like George Russell as well that's happy to step up. So, you know, a lot to go on. And I do think the Albon situation could be the catalyst for the rest of this driver market I really absolutely yeah so um I, th I think it's fair to us fair to say that we're of the opinion that George Russell may be in trouble in terms of his future as much as we'd love for him to stay and think he de deserves to be on that grid next season I don't even think there's a question of that um in a much more competitive car it seems that the success of the Mercedes in terms of retaining Bottas um who has been okay but not exactly great he's had his moments but not consistent but when you're finishing second in the championship and winning the odd race when Hamilton doesn't there's not a reason for Mercedes to drop a driver like that who's clearly easy to work with rather than someone like George that they know for a long time and they probably in that position where they feel like well if George goes he's given the best seat on the grid potentially someone else will step in so a lot of cards being held close to people's chests at the moment but i'm sure all will be revealed in the next couple of weeks um so moving on to alfa romeo i think another team that's it's a bit strange this situation so again for a bit of context guys a couple of weeks ago at the eiffel grand prix um mick schumacher mike the son of the seven-time world champion michael schumacher who until sunday was the all-time most successful race winner in Formula One until Lewis Hamilton beat that record with his 92nd career victory. I'm sure plenty more to come from Lewis. But um, it seemed that with Mick Schumacher leading the F2 Championship, doing very, very well in the Ferrari Junior Programme, the next star to come through the Ferrari Driver Academy, ready for Formula One, was meant to be testing in FP1 in the uh, Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring. That didn't happen because of the wet weather. And then it, it seemed everyone was of the opinion that he was going to be partnering Kimi Raikkonen next season, who was planning to stay on at Alfa Romeo. And uh, that seemed like a scintillating, a very interesting lineup. But recently reports have been coming out of Germany and the Italian-based media that um, whilst Kimi's expected to stay, it seems that Giovinazzi has uh, not necessarily had a U-turn in terms of his opinion, but it seems that Giovinazzi this season has put in some good performances, I think it's fair to say, and I think the team are quite happy to keep Gio on for another season. Now, remember, Gio Anazzi is also a Ferrari uh, driver. He's effectively on loan at Alfa Romeo too. And whilst Ferrari aren't looking to Gio Anazzi for the future, he's still a Ferrari young driver at Alfa Romeo. And Ferrari effectively hold the cards in this situation. And I feel that Ferrari probably won't want to get rid of Gio Anazzi just to put Mick Schumacher in their car. And Alfa Romeo are quite happy 
with Giovinazzi. They've said, you know, he's got a lot of supporters there. He's doing all right. He's improved this season compared to last season. And uh, as a result, that's kind of left us in a situation where it looks more likely that um, Alfa Romeo are going to stick with Kimi Raikkonen and, and Giovinazzi. I mean, what are your thoughts on this situation, Courtney? Because, um, as I said, it seems that Alfa, when it looked all for certain that Mick Schumacher was going to be going there, it seems all of a sudden it might be more likely that they're going to stick with their current lineup. It would be another uh, massive shame if uh, we didn't see Mick Schumacher in Alpha because it seems that Alpha Romeo seem to be the better place for um, Ferrari junior drivers to, you know, make a statement in Formula One. We saw it with um, Charles Leclerc, obviously, done they had a great season for them, which, you know, well, it was a quick, it was a quick step, wasn't it, from uh, Alfa Romeo to Ferrari? Mm. Um, so it would be a, a better opportunity for Mick to go there. And when you look at the other option for Mick, which would likely be Haas, it seems like they're trying to uh, go on a refresh, given that they're given they've got rid of both of their drivers. But it just seems. I don't know. It just has seems to be a bit more chaotic, not not on the ball as much compared to Alfa Romeo. And uh, I, I I just think that Alfa Romeo would be a much better move for Mick. Obviously, he's not going to turn down the move to any Formula One, um, any Formula One drive. But yeah, I mean, if if Giovinazzi stays, you can only see Mick going one place, and that would be Haas. Hmm. Yeah, and that's a good point. I, I think that brings us nicely around to the Haas team. I think we should stress that Ferrari seem pretty convinced that Mick Schumacher is ready for a seat in Formula One. Um, yeah. I mean, we can do a, a discuss in a separate episode how good Mick Schumacher really is, because I think that's an important topic to talk about. You know, a lot of pressure carrying the most famous name in Formula One, maybe even motorsport. And, um, you know, there's a lot to live up to. Now, you know, we, we can talk about his junior career compared to Michael's, but Mick is a driver that's definitely got a great work ethic and definitely learns and adapts. It does take time. Usually he's the sort of driver that in the second season, he's very, very good. Not necessarily the first one where he makes a few mistakes, but, you know, the pace isn't always there. But, um, you know, he has proven this season his consistency and, you know, he's got 11 or 12 podiums in two wins this season in F2, comfortably leading the championship at the moment. So it does seem he's ready, but if it's not going to be alpha, where I would prefer for him to go, similar to what Charles Leclerc did a couple of years ago before he got his move to Ferrari, Haas does seem the likely option. And um, so with the Haas team, of course, this one again, you know, it brings the same old names back to the uh, equation, plus a few new ones that we've already mentioned. And, um, you know, last week before the Portuguese Grand Prix, they confirmed both drivers, Kevin Magnussen and Romain Grosjean, would not be staying with the team for the 2021 season. They'd both be leaving. Now, you know, as such a shame as that is, uh, especially for someone like Romain Grosjean, who's shown a lot of pace and back in his Lotus days was almost a match for anyone. You know, very impressive young driver. But the lack of consistency and the incidents and the crashes and everything else, you know, we can joke to the cows come home. You know, every time we see Grosjean crash these days, someone's obviously out there on Twitter going, Ericsson hit me or Ericsson did it after his uh, crash in uh, Baku in 2017 behind the safety car. You know, so... And uh, Magnussen, again, another driver that's shown pace at times, but it's just not really worked out for them. And they've had to be moved on. I, I don't expect them to be finding a seat in Formula One. I think they might be looking at options elsewhere. 
perhaps IndyCar or World Endurance, you know, but they'll definitely be fine wherever they go and it'll be a shame to lose them. But that leaves Haas in a position now where they've got two drivers now to fill. Gunther Steiner said uh, recently that he had a short list of at least 10. I don't know what some of the drivers that might have been on that list. I think 10 might have been a bit of a stretch. But, um, you know, of those contenders, I think, of course, Mick Schumacher is definitely one of them and a very, very high probability that he will end up there. If he doesn't end up at Alfa Romeo, I'm pretty certain he will go there. And, um, you know, another driver in the Ferrari Driver Academy uh, that was linked with a move that Huss originally was Callum Eilat, who had yep. um, a test, well, say a test. He was going to do some free practice at the Eiffel Grand Prix like Mick was for the Huss team, though. But unfortunately, that uh, session was uh, obviously didn't go ahead because of the weather. So Eilat was not able to get that running like Mick was. And uh, it seems even though Eilat seemed destined to go to Haas, like Mick was to Alpha, it seems that now because Mick's going to Haas and uh, it doesn't feel like Haas are going to allow Ferrari to have two drivers in that team, which has brought up another name, and that's uh, Nikita Mazepin, the uh, F2 driver as well, former uh, F3 champion as well, very impressive young driver whose uh, father, Dimitri, wants to buy a stake or invest in the team which would allow his son to go over again. Yeah. I mean, Nikita's a good driver, but there's definitely a financial backing to this decision. Now that seems to be the most likely scenario being Schumacher and Mazepin. I mean, what are your thoughts on this call? Because it's a big risk for us to take two relatively inexperienced into formula one, like their pace. But um, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, if if they're good enough, they're good enough. Some sometimes, you know, experience every now and again doesn't entirely matter, but it's very risky. You know, having I know as as good as uh, Mick has been in, in F two, having two drivers and and when you if you have two young drivers, they're they're likely to clash, aren't they? Let's be honest, mm. it's it's going to happen. They both want to be number one driver. When and when when you're younger, and it's just everything's a bit more raw, everything's a bit more emotional. You have two drivers that are the same way inclined, you're bound to have fireworks. And Hass have had enough of that. They've had enough fireworks, they've had enough drama. We can bring up the documentary, you know, good to, good to start a gun on a mad one. You know, as, as, as funny as it is for us to watch as a business, it doesn't look very good, does it? They need to have a solid season. And really, generally speaking, what you need, you need to have, have a young driver like Mick, Personally, you'd have a young driver like Mick and you'd bring in someone experienced and you just look at the same four drivers, your Hulkenbergs, your Perezes, you look at the drivers like that. And it all depends. It all depends on what happens at that Red Bull seat. That's where it all begins. And you just find it will just seat down. And then before you know, it probably has to probably be one of the last to be announced. Because let, let's be honest, right now, right now, if you think about the combination between the team and the engine that the cars have. As as a if you're just a neutral driver, Hass is probably the least attractive team to be at right now. Because even with the Williams, Williams have recently been taken over and they do have a Mercedes engine. So there's some kind of potential for them to go forwards. So I imagine that Hass will probably be the last team to confirm their drivers. But they need to be having a bit of experience if they want to start, you know, building a reputation in Formula One again. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And um, you know, Haas have had a very difficult year but they have had some moments where they've been pretty good. I mean, for example, uh, Roman Grosjean was excellent 
at the Eiffel Grand Prix, took advantage of the safety car, managed to finish in the points, relatively successful. And, um, you know, it's performances like that that I've seen from some of their drivers where you just think if they were able to put this together more often or drive at least more cleanly, rather than always getting in incidents or not making mistakes, then perhaps they'd be kept on. But, you know, Haas was originally destined to be the gateway to Ferrari. That's why Grosjean originally joined. He wanted to go to Ferrari, end up in a Haas, might work out. You know, originally it seemed like a great idea. As the time's gone on, you know, they've been passed up so many times for opportunities. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm surprised they've been in the team this long. And it looks like Haas have decided, look, you know, but they're signed up to 2026 with a Concord agreement. They've decided, look, had enough of this. We need something fresh. We need two new drivers in the team. It does seem likely it's going to be Schumacher and Mazepin. I don't know what that means for Callum Eilat. For Robert Schwartzman, the other young Ferrari driver, you know, I, I think he needs another year in F2. Ferrari seems to have that opinion of him. You know, he's going to have a test at Abu Dhabi uh, at the end of the season of free practice like Schumacher and Eilat are supposed to have. So, you know, Ferrari we're going to announce their plans on what's going to happen with the young drivers, um, particularly Mick Schumacher at, before the final race of the season in F2, you know, two more rounds to go in uh, Bahrain, a double header there. The expectation is that Mick Schumacher, if he doesn't already should win the championship, it'd be a very awkward situation despite the huge lead that he has um, for him not to win the F2 championship. Someone like Callum Eilot does because Callum Eilot, you know, if he won the F2 championship, you can't stay in F2 for another year. You have to move on, um, you know, and, and this is kind of the uh, burden for drivers like that. So you don't want Callum Eilat winning the championship and then you haven't got a seat to put him in because if he shows his quality, another another academy may decide, you know what, we'll put you in our car or something like that. So um, that seems to be the expectation. They're kind of putting their plan. That's why they probably haven't announced anything yet, I should say, because Mick hasn't got this wrapped up yet. But it does seem like the way Mick's driving at the moment, yeah. the last few rounds, Ferrari probably have a pretty good indication of how likely Mick is uh, to win that. I mean, let's be honest, if Mick's able to, I think it's like a 40-point margin going into the final race, then he'll have it wrapped up. But he's only a 22.1, and that can change, you know. Similar points formats to Formula 1 feature race, 25 points for a win, 15 for, for a win in the sprint race, and pole position gets two points as well, or four points or something like that. So, um, you know, all but confirmed, but it does seem Schumacher and Massapin seems a likely option. Again, Hulkenberg and Perez, names that have been thrown around, but I think, uh, you know, Perez seems more keen on Williams if he doesn't go to Red Bull, and Hulkenberg, I don't think that's a name that Huss are entertaining at this point in time, given the fact that Mazepin does seem very likely to be in that car and Schumacher at the moment. We'll have to wait and see what Alpha does as well. Um, even though they've got their lineup confirmed, um, the last team I want to talk about briefly, um, Renault. Now, we know that Renault have pretty much confirmed both the drivers for next season. Ocon has a contract to 2021. Fernando Alonso is joining for two years um, from next season. Now, we don't know how long Fernando's going to stay at Renault for. It all depends, I suppose, on what the 2022 car is going to be like. He's been very impressed with what he's seen so far. So we'll have to wait and see how that pans out for him from next season, as he will be driving a revised version of the current Renault car, which is doing relatively well. So with that in mind, given Alonso's age, we're not expecting him to be in Formula 1 for a long time. I would say no longer than three or four years at the most. There are other options in their junior academy. So I'm going to run a few names past you, Courtney. Lundgaard, Christian Lundgaard in F2 seems the most likely candidate to go to Renault at some point. Uh, Guan Yu Zhou, another good driver in F2, not a great second season, but he has shown, 
you know, moments of good pace, so perhaps another year might help. Oscar Piastri, the Formula 3 champion, young Renault driver, very exciting talent, did an excellent job with the Premier team last season. Looking for a driver in F2, but I'm expecting him to be confirmed pretty soon. And, uh, you know, so drivers like that, you know, very good, quick drivers, especially Christian Lungard. If you're Renault, you've got Esteban Ocon right now, you've got Fernando Alonso. The sort of conundrum they're going to find themselves in, especially with Pierre Gasly as well as a potential driver for 2022. I mean, what do you see happening in that situation, Courtney? Because Cyril Abitable might be pretty happy now. Worrying, the only worry in his life is what tattoo Danny Ricciardo is going to put on him after his podium at the IF Grand Prix. But... Um, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on the Renault situation? How do you see that one going in the next couple of years? I think that doesn't matter how big your name is, I think Fernando Alonso is going to be under pressure very, very soon until his um, Formula One return. Um, because the slight doubt surrounding Fernando Alonso is that are we going to see the Fernando of old? Or are we going to see a similar, similar situation to how Michael Schumacher was when he returned from Mercedes? He had a couple of seasons out, returned, and he wasn't and he wasn't the same driver anymore. Mm. So there's going to be question marks over Fernando already. He's going to have a point of proof. And if he has a sloppy start to the season, yeah, already there's going to be, and particularly because Ocon has, let's be honest, Ocon has raised his game in recent races. If he continues that form and he starts next season well, Fernando's already um, under pressure. So it'd be interesting to see how both of their drivers start. But I think Renault are going to be one of the teams under the spotlight when it comes to the driver transfer market already going into um, 2021. Mm, absolutely. I, I think you'd be very surprised to see what they do. Um, I, I mean, Ocon's had a so-so season, that's fair to say. It's yeah. not been easy for him, but I, if I'm perfectly honest, I expected more. And, um, you know, Daniel Ricciardo's shown how good that Renault can be. And he's shown his qualities. If anything, he's probably driving the best that I've ever seen him drive. So he does put pressure on Ocon, especially now that he's going to, you know, in truth, no one leads a team that Fernando Alonso isn't, that is in other than Fernando Alonso. But there is an expectation for Ocon to be, for a while, the de facto leader of that team in terms of performance originally. We don't know what Fernando Alonso we're going to get. You know, as you mentioned, Michael Schumacher was out of the sport for four years. And uh, it definitely showed, you know, he wasn't the same Michael that was winning seven world championships. If, you know, all, unfortunately, to win an eighth title, if it wasn't for the Japanese Grand Prix in 06, when he retired, uh, that Ferrari was bulletproof. You could, probably could have won it then. But, um, you know, despite other than, well, say other than the Monaco Grand Prix where he got pole position and he had that penalty for hitting uh, Bruno Senna at the Spanish Grand Prix before, so he had a grid penalty. Michael never really was the same driver. Perhaps he was just doing it for fun, like Kimmy said. He didn't seem to have that hunger or that drive like he did in years gone by. So it probably explained why his performance was not as good as it should have been, especially when Rosberg was doing very well and outscoring him all three seasons ever. Um, so, you, so you don't know with Fernando Alonso, but he does need time. You know, the stuff that he does say that he needs to work on, he's looking forward to learning how to get the, the most out of the car. And those are the things you want to hear. Those are the reasons why I think that Fernando, I think, will be very, very quick in the Renault. It may not happen uh, straight away. It might take a little bit of time, but um, I think his goal is a bit more long term. So I don't expect Fernando to struggle in the way that Michael did when he went to Mercedes. I think we may see a, a very fiery Fernando, as he often was in his McLaren days. Um, 
some for the better, some not so much. So um, their situation is going to be interesting. A lot of pressure on Ocon for next season. And, uh, and I say this because if he doesn't perform, as the drivers have already mentioned, like Lundgaard, Joe, Oscar Piastri, Pierre Gasly, of course, we shouldn't forget Pierre Gasly, who I think would be a great fit for Renault. You know, there's a lot of pressure there. He has to deliver next season. So um, we'll have to wait and see on that one. But uh, I think that pretty much rounds up all of the teams that we've got to cover in this transfer special. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. For those of you watching this video episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast for the very first time, hopefully the first of many. So hopefully it went okay for you guys. If there's any issues, we do apologize, but we're just, you know, it's the first one we've done, so we'll get better with it. But um, of course, if you don't follow us already on social media, make sure you do. As you can see at the bottom there, all of our social media handles right there on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course the YouTube channel as well. Make sure to give the video a like and subscribe to the channel as well for more great content. Of course, if you do listen to us on all major podcasting platforms, of course, we're on plenty others, including the likes of Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course, Google Play as well. And let, let us know who you think is going to be going to the respective teams we've covered in the comments section below. Let us know your thoughts and predictions for the 2021 grid. Let us know if you have any contrasting opinions to what we've mentioned already. So I guess all that's left to say is thank you once again, Courtney, for joining me on this transfer of the DNF1 F1 podcast. A bit of a breakup from our normal race review episode, but we'll be back same time as usual on Sunday reviewing the Grand Prix at Imola. I can't remember the full name for that, but it's definitely a mouthful. But we're going back to San Marino in Imola this Sunday for that Grand Prix. So we'll be reviewing that episode. We're reviewing that race in the next episode of the DNF1 podcast. So until then, guys, stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. See you soon. Podcast Network.